Welcome to season two of Faith and Freedom Fighters. I am Robert Muse, co-founder and senior counsel of the American Freedom Law Center. And I'm joined by my fellow freedom fighter, co-founder and senior counsel, David Yurashami. Now, during our last podcast slash videocast, uh, we discussed the two recent Supreme Court cases addressing the OSHA vaccine mandate and the Medicare Medicaid uh, vaccine mandate, that is mandates for those health uh, facilities that receive Medicare and Medicaid funding. Now the court stayed or halted the OSHA mandate, and that was the mandate that applied to companies with a hundred or more employees, but permitted the Medicare and Medicaid mandate to go into effect while the case proceeded. Now, since then, the Biden administration has abandoned the OSHA mandate, apparently seeing the writing on the wall. Um, and we will keep abreast of how these vaccine mandate cases are working and winding their way up through the, the court system, including those that we will be involved in. Um, and so I want to kind of talk about transition uh, here, as it were, to the vaccines themselves. And, you know, there was an interesting uh, article in Reuters, which was published uh, last week on uh, January 19th, and uh, it was titled, Prior COVID Infection More Protective than vaccination during Delta surge, U.S. study. And here's the, uh, the opening paragraph. Remember, this is Reuters, right? This is not some you know, right-wing conspiracy type uh, news agency. It says, people who had previously been infected with COVID-19 were better protected against the Delta variant than those who were vaccinated alone, suggesting that natural immunity was a more potent shield than vaccines against that variant. California and New York health officials reported on Wednesday. Boy, they must have had to report that with uh, swallowing hard California and New York. But of course, um, you have to have your, uh, your pro-vax comment in there or qualifier, because they go on to say, nevertheless, vaccination remains the safest strategy against COVID-19, according to the report published in U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Rates. So there you go. At least there's finally some recognition that uh, natural immunity is, uh, you know, is, a, is a good defense against COVID and perhaps even a better defense than what these uh, vaccines uh, are doing right now, right? We don't hear the 90% uh, efficacy of vaccines anymore. They're not, they're not you know, pushing that propaganda line. So David, welcome. And uh, I'd like to get your, your comments about this, uh, this US study that was uh, cited in the Reuters article. Thanks, Rob. You know, we, we talked about this a little bit last week. And if you, you really have to take a step back to understand what this means in context. There was a, also, and I sent it to you this morning, a Wall Street Journal op-ed by a public health specialist. Uh, actually, you sent it to me, I think, yeah. um, uh, that speaks to this issue because what we, what we now know from just an empirical, shall we say, scientific perspective, that is to say, measuring things. So we now know rather uh, strongly that, uh, that natural immunity as to Delta and likely to Omicron and likely to the original is a better way for the body to immunize against the disease, getting the disease. The 
the subtlety of the argument though is that well that may be true but um if you didn't have the disease and you're trying to measure whether or not you should have the vaccine or not the argument is that you should if you haven't had the disease you should get the vaccine if you especially if you have comorbidities so then the question becomes well if you if you have antibodies or if you had the disease um, does that argue against the vaccine and again they argue as you point out well if you had the vaccine and you had antibodies from natural immunity then you're even less likely to be hospitalized or have a bad outcome um, all that is true but here comes the important analysis for the individual and i keep harping on this and 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 all of the as it were the critics of vaccines are of course saying this and the anti-vaxxers and even the the wild conspiratorialists make this argument but it's it shouldn't be it shouldn't be dismissed because let's just call them wackos make the argument. That is to say the hardcore anti-vaxxers. And that is, we don't know the midterm and long-term bad outcomes. We know there's some short-term bad outcomes um, and weighed against the number of people who have had the vaccines and not had short-term bad outcomes uh, you know, each individual will make that decision on their own. From my perspective, the short-term bad outcomes, given the number of people who have had the vaccine, show that it, the vaccines are still relative, relatively safe. But again, it's relative. Just let's talk about short-term before we get to midterm and long-term. And I hope this isn't too confusing, Rob. Stop me if it is. But the short-term analysis is there are bad outcomes in the short term. Um, the neurological diseases, the inflated, you know, the inflamed hearts, the enlarged hearts, um, pregnancy issues, um, menstrual cycle issues for women. There are sorts of short-term bad outcomes, but the, the number of those bad outcomes versus the number of people who have had it make it relatively small risk, but you have to measure those quote unquote relatively small risk versus your own personal comorbidities. Now it is true that people can get COVID and without any comorbidities, known comorbidities die relatively young. And you see these articles, even on Fox news, you see them on the mainstream media all the time where a father or a mother says, oh, I wish I would have had the vaccine as they're dying, right? That's the standard kind of narrative. But then again, those cases are rare and probably as rare as the bad, out bad outcomes where the person gets the vaccine and says, oh, I wish I hadn't had the vaccine. So you have to just take that into consideration when you're looking at the short-term bad outcomes of the vaccine versus COVID 
bad outcomes for no co comorbidities. There's another downside for COVID when you're weighing the risk benefit on the short-term bad outcomes of the vaccine. And that is people have had COVID, relatively mild COVID or hospitalized COVID, but then have had COVID long symptoms. That is to say, COVID seems to affect neurological and other aspects of a person's health over a long period of time. It just persists, fatigue, mental, uh, lack of alertness, um, respiratory issues that can go on for months, even years, apparently. So you have to take that into consideration. So that's a balancing. But as you get into the midterm and long-term risk analysis, remember that was the short-term COVID risk analysis, we don't know. So when you look at your own COVID comorbidities, those things that might make COVID dangerous to you, you have to weigh the fact that we still do not know the mid and long-term bad outcomes. And if we don't know those bad outcomes and the short-term bad outcomes, many of which we don't know why people have those. We just know they do. And if you don't know the why of a short-term bad outcome, then you can't know the midterm and long-term because we just don't know what's taking place inside the bodies of those people who are having the short-term bad outcomes. So it's not a simple calculus to say, well, gee, uh, if you have natural immunity and you have vaccine, or you've never had COVID and you have the vaccine, you're less likely to be hospitalized or have a bad outcome. That's not so simple. It's a much more complicated analysis. And who makes those analyses? So-called public health experts like Dr. Fauci and many others. And what we see is there's a growing number of public health experts who are saying that you know, the mass mandates and all these other um, crippling social protocols that we're engaging in um, do not seem to add up from a risk-benefit analysis. Most public health experts are still advocating vaccines. But again, that's just a so-called public health expert. That's not science. That's the balancing that we're just now talking about. And that can be done by the individual as well as by the so-called public health expert every day of the week. And, and herein lies the, uh, the rub, right? That's a, you know, that's that somewhat of a sterile analysis, you know, of risks, benefits, and so forth. But the ultimate issue is who makes that decision, right? And that's, that's the ultimate problem with, with all of this. And I know you, you, you kind of tongue-in-cheek referred to the anti-vaxxers as, uh, as kind of the wackos, and I would flip that and say the vaxxers are the wackos. They're the wacko liberals. They're the tyrants, right? They're the ones who want to use the power of government to force this one-size-fits-all response to these, these health issues and impose their will upon you, me, and everyone else. That's where this, this, this all unravels. And it becomes so political, right? Right now, I'm at the point where, what signs do you trust, right? And this is gonna lead to what we're, you know, we're gonna talk about next with, uh, with Fauci and the Wuhan lab and everything else. 
these uh, these big pharmacies that are making you know hand over fist money on all of this, and you have these uh, you know these government tyrants, these administrative bureaucrats who love power, and they're, they're all working together. I mean, where is where's the, where are they going to find the government funding? for the efficacy of natural immunity. They don't have any interest in doing that. There's no, there's no monetary gain in, in all of that. They have a focus on showing the efficacy of this vaccine and to substantiate and justify these policies that they're imposing upon us. And for, if anybody doubts for one minute that science has not been totally politicized because it's driven by federal grant money by and large, that's where the big money is. And the big money is also coming from these big pharmaceutical companies who all have a vested interest, whether it be a monetary interest or a power interest, or even I think for Fauci has become such a huge ego. He has to have science, you know, quote unquote science, these studies and everything justify decisions that, that he has made. And so this, this has become so corrupt this whole process, particularly at the highest level. And the problem is, again, it comes down to the mandates. It should be the individuals who make a decision of whether or not the government is going to stick a needle in their arm and inject them with something. Uh, with uh, something, It should not be some public health official making a decision where it's one size, uh, one size fits all. And that's where, that's the problem with, with this whole, you know, how COVID has erupted. It's be so politicized. Uh, and, and the left is using it. It falls back on the never let a good crisis go to waste. And they're seeing this. I mean, it had an impact on the election and the politics, and it's having an impact on our, our day-to-day lives in a very big way. Well, you're going to get two huge thumbs up from me in agreement on the issue that um, the wackos mandating vaccines, right? The, the, the Howard Stearns, I don't, I, he's a shock jock, right? And he makes billions of dollars doing that. Um, he's been around forever. I remember having to um, listen to him on occasion when I was in a cab or something in New York City where he was hugely popular um, because he was just crass and vulgar and New Yorkers tend to like that kind of stuff. That's why Trump was so popular when he was a businessman back there. But um, he's now become a leading voice of the vaxxers and anyone who opposes vaccines for any reason, rational or not, are idiots, you know, conspiratorialist, dangerous people. So given that, the reality is that those types and the government types who impose these vaccine mandates on us are really the wackos. You're right, 100%, because they simply refuse to accept any rational analysis of risk beyond what some public health official, and let's call them what they are, public health officials or public health academics. They're not public health experts because what they're experts in is the requirement of how to do contact tracing when when there's a epidemic disease or a contagious disease um, and how you go about that, how you analyze those things. Those are measurements, but they're not the decision about when you impose vaccine mandates, when you don't impose, that's a risk benefit analysis that there's no expertise in that other than counting how many people will die this way, we think, and how many people will die that way. But um, I would argue there's 
to wackos on the other side who just simply take an anti-vax position on everything. But that's an individual. And if the argument is, as an individual, I can choose what I want to do, I accept that. That's reasonable. It's also reasonable, in my view, when a parent decides. Now, I might disagree with the parent about vaccinating a child against um, known childhood diseases which are crippling or deadly, and vaccines that have been around for decades without long-term bad outcomes. So I disagree with those parents, but they're parents, and the children are their children. Um, I would agree, though, with with school districts or schools that say those children shouldn't be allowed in if they're not vaccinated. So they can homeschool, right? They have choices. Um, but moving off of that, the, the reality is, and I, this is where I'll, I'll be a little bit more nuanced, science is not politicized. Science has not become politicized. What's happened, because remember, there is no thing, we talked about this last week, I'm going to repeat it because it's important to reemphasize. There's nothing, there's no thing called science. It doesn't walk around on four legs, right? There are scientists who engage, if properly speaking, in the scientific method, which is nothing more than a way that we measure things in the physical world in the best way we can to determine what may or may not likely be a cause of some effect. But that's all we do. That's all science is, is a method used by scientists. And scientists are simply men and women who use the scientific method. Now, what Rob means when he says science become politicized is that the spokespeople for science, i.e. scientists, or public health officials like Fauci simply use science as a weapon measurement of things to make statements and impose mandates that have nothing to do with science qua science, the measurement. They have to do with the risk benefit analysis, the measuring of if we do this what good comes out, and if we do this, what bad might come out, and if we don't do this, what might occur, good and bad. That's the risk-benefit analysis of public health or national security or any number of, of public policy arenas, but it is not science. All science does, people, is measure things, how big they are, how small they are, how dense they are, how fast they move, um, how they might infect other organisms, the number of those infections. That's all it is. Science in and of itself is a rather benign thing that measures. It's when we utilize those measurements to mandate, to, to litigate, to do all sorts of things in society that have nothing to do with the measurement itself, but how we take those measurements and, and utilize them. That's public policy. Yeah, the problem, the problem though too is it's not, it's not so objective. These numbers are misused, they're manipulated, they're, they're um, you know, massaged into a way to promote a particular 
you know, agenda, which runs, you know, straight up and, and right into, you know, liberty interest to our freedom. Right. And, and that's as Americans, like I said, you know, when this all this COVID, you know, began, think back when it began, what were we like two years now over this, right? It was uh, okay. We got to, um, you know, we got a shelter in place two weeks to, you know, to, uh, to stop the spread, to reduce hospitalizations two weeks. And look where we are now. Right. And as I, I mentioned before, as you know, as Americans, we're good neighbors, right? We're willing to go along and help our neighbor. Okay. We'll stay home. We'll stop the spread. We'll, you know, do what we can. Um, you had healthcare professionals who were literally running to the sound of the guns, who were volunteering to go to New York City, the epicenter, to help out in hospitals, volunteer their time to do this, because that's what we do as Americans. But we're also people who threw tea in the harbor, right? It's at one point when it's, okay, you've got, we've gone beyond, okay, I'm going to be a good neighbor, and I'm going to go along, and I'm going to, you know, do what I can to help out, to realizing, you know what, this is just, this is just tyranny, and I'm not going to stand for it anymore. And it's taken almost two years, but I'm seeing it more and more. I've been to many places now where you see the signs that says masks are mandatory. I look around and it's like uh, like 99% of the people in here aren't wearing masks. They're, they're, they're fed up with it. They're done with it. You know, and you mentioned about Howard Stern, right? He cut his teeth on being the guy that was, you know, rage against the machine, right? He was a guy like, hey, we got to push against this uh, authoritarian government who wants to control every aspect of our lives. Well, I've never seen more efforts to control every aspect of our lives than I've seen in the last two years with uh, with COVID-19. And, and I, you know, hopefully it'll show itself also in this uh, in these midterm elections that are coming up here in uh, this fall. And I think it will. People are getting let me, let me, fed up with this stuff. And let me uh, say a couple of things. Back. Yes. Let me say a couple of things to that. So, first of all, the point you make about liberty, right, the individual and the tyranny of mandates. I think is fundamental and something um, that we ought to dedicate an entire podcast to. In fact, we have in part, you did that wonderful analysis of the constitution and, 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 and the individual and liberty and so forth um, earlier on. But let me, let me just say this. Why is it so important that we have in this country a culture that was founded upon the individual? Right? It comes from the Judeo-Christian creed about the individual has an individual soul that has an integrity separate and apart from the community. The, the, the people, the United States of America, our national existence, and I'm a huge believer in nationalism, even though I'm not a believer in much isms, but in the nation state um, and what it means to have borders and, and, and laws that only protect us uh, and so forth. But the fact is, is the Judeo creed speaks to the individual, unlike Sharia, which the collective people are more important than any individual. In the Judeo-Christian creed, the individual, even though he or she is important as part of the, 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 the group, the nation, the tribe, what have you, the family, the individual is important. Why we don't sacrifice individuals in the name of the collective which Sharia Islamic law does. The, the reason that's important at a political level or social political level, not just a theological, is that something that the, the, the authors of the Federalist Papers understood. And that is when you get into a collective situation, you can develop a collective mindset 
And we know, and it's been demonstrated historically and empirically over, over decades, you can have a hysterical mindset that takes place in groups. And there is a movement and a pressure in groups where the individual doesn't want to stand outside of that because he will be ostracized, punished, um, either socially or criminally in ways that um, make standing against the current of the group almost impossible. In this country, we recognize that. And that's why we love the underdog in sports. That's why we, we Rob and I were talking about the, the fantastic um, uh, hockey victory by the, the USA team against the Russians. And I'm, I'm not a hockey fan, but I know about that story. That's something important. The individual making the individual choice about risk and benefit. So that's an important aspect. I want to come back to something else Rob mentioned, which is the corruption of science, right? The manipulation. Well, again, if we keep in mind that science is simply the measurement. So when they publish the measurements, when they conduct their studies and then publish the results, that's where the corruption of the measurement takes place at one level, because statistics can be manipulated almost any way you want. And that lies, part of damn the, lies and statistics, right? Isn't that right. the old saying? <laughs> right. And Rob and I had a case and it's a public case. We can mention who the client was. Well, there was an Ohio attorney who sued our client, Pamela Geller, who has some fame of her own um, for defamation. There was a, a case going on in Ohio with a, a young Muslim girl who had converted to Christianity and been threatened by her parents and ran away from home. And Pamela Geller covered the story. And this lawyer um, had represented the family, and Pamela had said things that um, he claimed defamed her and sued her for $10 million, if memory serves me correctly. And we defended that case and won that case. Um, the interesting thing about it was he hired a um, forensic um, economist to produce a measurement for his $10 million worth of damages. This guy was brilliant, and he manipulated um, the damage claim and had this this calculus that fascinated Rob and I, it was wrong. Uh, and we took his deposition and essentially undermined that testimony. But we ultimately used him for a different case because he was so brilliant in the way he could manipulate data. Um, we wanted to use him for good, um, but science, as it were, the measurements can be utilized. The measurements themselves are benign. But let me talk about another aspect of science, even measuring things, even the measurement itself can get corrupted. And that's what we found in quantum physics. In quantum physics, when you have small enough items, the way you measure something can affect the outcome. So even in simply the measuring of things, if they're small enough, quantum levels, the, the measurer, the tools measured, the person measuring can actually affect the outcome. So it's never purely uh, a innocent science or even measurement. But those are those are the, the, the two main points I wanted to just make, Rob. Yeah, and just uh, uh, I want to make a point of clarification with our, our damages expert. We never 
it's never a situation where you're presenting false information to the court. He was, right. the guy was just a, uh, he was a very brilliant uh, economist who could take numbers and he could, you know, show, ex, you know, express a result from those numbers in ways that other economists likely could or couldn't and whether or not it, uh, you know, substantiates in terms of the, the legal process, the claim you're making or whether it doesn't, but it's not a matter of, you know, finding somebody who's can just, uh, you know, manipulate it as it were. He's somebody who could use data and describe it in ways that that can be uh, very effective for the uh, for the outcome of your case. He was effective for us. He wasn't so much for them, but he was a he was a smart. Uh, he still is a smart uh, smart economist that is uh, helpful in that regard. So, and it, uh, anyways, just wanted to make that point. Let's let's transit because we're we're already uh, halfway through here. It's gone time go, always goes so fast. You know, regarding COVID, right? We see that uh, Fauci is uh, once again front and center regarding the origins of the COVID-19 uh, virus and its ties to the Wuhan lab of virology or the, uh, and this was a story by, uh, by Fox News and it was, um, it was a story that was published on January 25th, very recent. And uh, I just wanna cover a few of, the, uh, few of the nuggets of this story before turning it over uh, to David here. So in this story, it says, Republican leaders on the House Oversight and Judiciary Committee released excerpts of emails uh, this past week that say that they reveal that the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease Director, Dr. Anthony Fauci, knew that COVID-19 may have been intentionally modified and leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. In a letter to the Health and Human Services Secretary, it was uh, Representatives James uh, Comer and Jim Jordan pointed to a February 1st, 2020, conference call that included Fauci and former National Institutes of Health Director Francis Collins, in which the virus's origins were discussed. And there is uh, the letter, you can, you can download the, uh, the letter uh, from the, uh, the Congressman to the, the, the Secretary of Health and Human Services. I have a copy right here in my hands, which has all the emails which they uh, were able to acquire and put together. And there, you know, it's, there's obviously some very damning information in here. And it's very interesting because this goes to the point I was kind of making before about how, you know, science is being uh, used. They have this conference call on February 1st of 2020. And there's, you know, expressions of serious concern in, in follow-on emails about this conference call, about the fact that, you know, it's, it's quite frankly, very unlikely that this virus and how it's acting and how it's operating just occurred naturally and that there's concerns about what was going on in the Wuhan lab. And then just, you know, about three days later, I think it was February 4th, there was this article that was uh, published in Nature Medicine by several of the doctors who were on this call, which, uh, which just tried to debunk the, the whole theory and just said, look, it's, this is, uh, and it came up with its theory as to why um, this in fact did incur, uh, occur in nature. It's very interesting. So you had a three day period of time where all of a sudden it's like, uh oh, uh, something something bad is happening here, and it looks like it's uh, you know the epicenter for all this is the Wuhan uh, uh, lab, a virology lab, and then uh, these doctors have this conference call, these you know these scientists and experts, and and expressing grave concerns about look this could have leaked from the lab, and then all of a sudden there's a paper that's generated, and three days later, and it's like okay let's this is going to be the uh, you know, the argument that we make. And one of the concerns that the, that the congressmen have based on looking at these emails, again, you can read those emails yourself. You can go look for that Fox News article or search for the, the letter from, um, 
uh, to the Secretary of Health and Human Services. It's out there, as well as the emails. Um, did did Fauci, you know, express this concern to any of the any of the uh, you know the, his bosses? The, the you know, remember this guy's in the the health side. He's not a guy that's in that should be involved in the the politics, which we know is a joke. He's heavily involved in the politics. But did he notify anybody about this concern that this could have originated? from the Wuhan lab and been genetically manipulated the way that it's operating. And it's, you know, I don't know if we'll ever come to the, uh, you know, to the ultimate truth of all this. There is such a bureaucratic deep state out there. Um, but uh, I'm hoping, you know, we get a change of the administration and some of these and uh, the Republicans can, can uh, grab hold again and have some of these committees and do some serious investigating into the origins of this coronavirus. Look at how devastating this thing has been. And if this was a result, and I, like I said, all the evidence I've seen and using, looking at this from a, my lawyer perspective, it is, to me, it is, it is, it is, to me, it's established that it's more likely than not that this was a uh, genetically manipulated uh, virus in the Wuhan lab. And then it's, you know, the question of whether it was intentionally leaked or it was accidental. Again, I think we need more evidence on, uh, on that, but I'd take that issue to a jury based on the evidence that we, uh, that we have right now without, without, any, uh, without any doubt. So, David, I know this was something you, were, you dove into, and uh, I'd like to hear your comments on this. Well, I would agree with your last assessment as well, um, that this was the, the evidence strongly suggests the probability that this was genetically altered. Let me give the audience some, some real context. <clears throat> so the neutral context, is that the, in the early days of the pandemic, right? Um, and what we, when I say that, I mean the early days of the known pandemic, because we don't know when this disease really first started and broke out. Um, you know, there, there was talk about it being in December, 2019, but now it's the date is much earlier. And the reason we don't know is because China is simply covering it up. We don't know. They, 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 literally cleaned up the wet market. They wiped it clean of any real scientific evidence. They won't allow um, information um, from individuals within China who had information to give and who spoke out early. Um, and they're just not releasing any information to the agencies, the international and US agencies that have been looking into this. So um, in the early days of the known pandemic, uh, late January, February, um, there was relatively little information about the disease and its origins. What was known about the disease and its origins raised serious questions um, among scientists. And this is when they had the conference call in February of 2020 that Fauci and his people had arranged. And that's where there was discussion and emails and notes about this conference call that suggested that the evidence at that point in time, which was still early, was that um, this was more than likely lab generated in China. Now, that's when Fauci began to cover things up. But let's give the best possible argument for Fauci. So Fauci is going to say, first of all, um, there was very little evidence one way or the other. Um, these scientists who raised this issue um, 
uh, were never told not to pursue it by me or other officials in the US government. Um, they might have faced pressure regarding um, their theory from others, but it wasn't us. And the fact that they changed their mind is typical in science is more data was analyzed and more scientists were able to weigh in. The scientific analysis changed. Well, um, let's just stop there. Right there, we know that um, this position is not science, right? Um, the, the, the science didn't change. Maybe there were some additional measurements taken, so there was more data um, to analyze. And Fauci's narrative, that one we just gave, might be true, right? It could be that all of these scientists, you know, flip-flopped and based upon their own reanalysis of the data outstanding. But let's look at what happened. And this gets to the politicalization that Rob speaks of and the corruption of science, of the measurements that Rob speaks of. At the conference call and subsequently, there is little doubt that the emphasis was on de-emphasizing the lab because of the political and research-based bad outcomes, meaning that if we blame China, number one, that would hurt our diplomatic relations with China. And more importantly, from Fauci and the other government public policy uh, officials' perspective, remember that much of the research in COVID-type viruses and other viruses um, comes from China, because that's where these viruses seem to emanate from bats and so forth and wet markets. A lot of these diseases, um, especially the COVID disease, come from China. And that's why we have been doing so much research at Wuhan and other research facilities in China. And because China is very interested in these diseases, both for the medical research, but also for the bioweapons aspect of them. We know they have a very big bioweapons um, uh, capability. So given that, Fauci and others were very concerned about the implications, had nothing to do with science. And that screams out in these notes and in these emails. The, the other aspect of this is why have these emails and these notes been kept under wraps for so long? They were subject to congressional requests and they were subject to freedom of information requests. When they were dribbled out initially due to freedom of information requests filed by organizations, private organizations, and when Congress asked for them, the Republicans, they were given either very little of this information or the information they were given was heavily redacted. It is only recently by pressure from Republicans in Congress that this information is now being given out, still redacted. So just like with China and the lack of transparency, anytime a government redacts and holds back information and refuses to be transparent about what should be transparent, based upon national security. What, what national security interests are there um, to 
keep the origin of the COVID vaccine hidden from the public? Well, that question could be answered very likely by the fact that this was created by government research, government research in China, and may be funded by government monies from the United States. We don't know the ultimate answers, but what we see are the markers that give rise to all kinds of conspiracy theorists, no question, that I call the wackos, who just take one little piece of evidence and then will argue that there's green cheese on Mars. And unfortunately, that tends to taint those of us who look at this evidence rationally and say, we don't buy the fact that Fauci is somehow superhuman and above um, human foibles and human biases and human interests. Of course, he is not. He has the same human condition that the rest of us suffer from, that his own personal bias, his own reputational bias, his own financial bias, his own political bias, all of these things weigh in, his own power bias. The fact that we know from the axiom that's been demonstrated true also over the over the history of mankind, that um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we see that over and over again. So this is what's going on with this Reuters report. This is based on the information provided to, to Congress. What we see is that there were scientists, including government scientists, including Fauci, who were very much aligned with the idea that we had to downplay the lab because the public couldn't understand it. We're too stupid to look at these things rationally and in a nuanced way. And they would jump to conclusions. Well, maybe a, a large group or maybe a minority or some number of people would, but it would allow those of us who aren't going to jump to conclusions, who are going to rationally examine the evidence to find out exactly what took place and what astonishes me, Rob, what shocks me is that Fauci and the other government, it doesn't really shock me. I understand why they're doing it. But what should shock us is why aren't these people pounding the drums? Why aren't the Democrats pounding the drums to find out how this damn disease started? Yeah. Because that's going to tell us better than any vaccine how to prevent it in the future. You think this is the last pandemic? For goodness sakes, people, this is just the beginning and just the variations of, of this disease. But they're going to be entirely new diseases. And if we don't understand how they start, especially the risk of the so-called research to, against these new diseases taking place in China and elsewhere, if we don't know how they can jump from the lab to the public, or if they do, in fact, we know they do, but how they do, we're going to be suffering these things ad infinitum until there is no infinitum. Yeah, and uh, just one real quick point of clarification. This was the this story, the one that I was covering here was from Fox News. The Reuters one was the early one. You just said Reuters, but I just want if people want to go look for it, it's in, in Fox News. But you can find this the letter from the the congressman and the emails. And that last point to me is is the uh, is really the most important point, right? We've said and we were talking about the the Wuhan lab leak. Um, you know, issue that uh, the cover-up is is always the 
you know, is always the worst thing, right? You, as we always said, and, you know, we look at this as lawyers, right? If somebody's hiding evidence or destroying evidence, you get a jury instruction that there's a presumption that that evidence is, uh, is favorable to you and, and unfavorable to the other side, right? There's this, and, and we know that this, this World Health Organization, so-called, you know, investigation they did in the Wuhan lab, even the Biden administration noted, you know, noted that this thing was very weak and China would not let them have access to the scientists and to the, the evidence, the individuals that would have direct evidence on this issue, they weren't even allowed to be, uh, to be spoken to or, or, I mean, it was the evidence that you would, you would need to have was withheld and blocked from China. So go to this point, think about, this is February of 2020, their very origins of this. And rather than, you know, Fauci being concerned that, you know what, there's a, there's a possibility, even if the possibility is remote, there's a, there's a possibility and a very good possibility, right? This isn't some obscure green cheese on Mars theory. There's a very good possibility. The Wuhan lab who is working on these coronaviruses, and we know that Fauci knows because he funded, they were working on gain of function research on these viruses in that very lab. And this, is, this was the epicenter of the origins of this virus. And right away, right away, they want to quash any efforts to investigate that, to look into this. This whole, you read these emails and everything, again, February of 2020, he doesn't want anybody looking at the Wuhan. Why wouldn't you, if you were that concerned about public health, saying, oh, wait a second, time out here. Let's call our buddies down at Wuhan lab. Let's get all these scientists, right? These, these scientists who are so concerned about science and upholding science and ensuring that science can proceed. Let's, we got to call a huge time out here and let's get all our resources to that lab and let's go through this with a fine tooth comb to find out what actually, actually happened. So number one, we might be able to understand what types of gain of function they incorporated into this virus. That could that could help you know help actually mitigate it, and that is this never ever happens again. That wasn't Fauci's response. His response was circle the wagons with all his buddies, right? And let's get this nature nature medicine article out there, and let's try to stop this so-called conspiracy in its tracks. The guy had no idea. And what does this show? This just shows that uh, that this this points to cover up. That's what this points to to me. Why weren't they concerned about that point that you made, David, that look, back in February of 2020, we got to you know, call a huge timeout right now and let's get to the bottom of this. Instead, it's let's circle the wagons and how do we, you know, how do we brush this aside? How do we, how do we deal with the, this, uh, you know, this growing concern of a conspiracy that there was a Wuhan leak? That's not how uh, fair-minded uh, actors who are who are acting with on in good faith operate. He operated just like a guy who was trying to cover something up, and that's a problem. A hundred percent, and he acted just like the Communist Party of China has been acting to cover up. And let me just delve in a little bit. So, you indicated the facts that they knew early on, but even today right after the so-called presidential investigation through all the intelligence agencies, they say that they can't determine that it was not the Wuhan lab and that that is a very real possibility. 
because China has simply, based upon what we do know, but that determination can't be made because China has simply covered it all up. And you and I know in our world of litigation, when, as you pointed out earlier, when you, when you begin the cover-up, you know, those of us from the Watergate era know that the, 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 the crime is in the cover-up far more than it is in the underlying so-called criminal action. Um, and the reality is that China's behavior demonstrates more than almost anything else that something was amiss here. Now, you can argue, as Fauci would likely argue, that in the early days we were worried about just the pandemic and dealing with the, the results of the pandemic, not the cause. And we wanted to be able to focus our resources. But he, here is a fundamental issue. As Rob pointed out, we know that they had been funding gain of research, gain of function research um, at Wuhan and other labs in China, the US government. Now, um, their argument was early on that, well, there's no evidence that this COVID virus was being researched at Wuhan or any other Chinese lab um, with US funding or at all. But here's the problem. We don't know. To say that there's no evidence is like saying that, you know, I don't know that there's any money in my bank account because I just haven't gone online to check today. I mean, that's absurd. If you don't have the information, you cannot draw a negative inference from that. It's impossible. It's stupid. It's irrational. And let's say something that makes no sense based upon my view that science is only measurement. It's unscientific. But there, it probably is appropriate because you can't say that something has no measurement if you don't measure the thing, right? I mean, it's just, it is the most asinine response, but that was their response. And that is their response to Rob. Well, we don't know that they were actually doing COVID on this research on this virus. So what? China hasn't let you know, hasn't let you know what they were researching. And the fact is, is that we know that the NIH, its own reporting shows that they were funding gain of function research. But guess what, folks? Money is fungible. What does that mean? It means if I give you $100,000 for research that would be perfectly benign and acceptable to everybody, and you've got bioweapons research on COVID and how to make it more dangerous going on in the next room, and I just gave you $100,000 for the benign research, do you think that you can trace that $100,000 to one or the other? And even if you could trace it to the benign research, guess what? You've just freed up $100,000 of Chinese money to do the bioweapons research. You, and, and it, it's simply and, not possible. Right. And, and, you know, it's, and what you're talking about too, is the, is the argument about direct evidence and absolutely ignoring circumstantial evidence. And as we've said time and time again, there are many cases every single day, people are being prosecuted or winning civil case or whatever, based on circumstantial evidence. It's still evidence, right? When you, when you, you may not see it's raining outside, but you see somebody walking in with a wet umbrella and a wet raincoat, you can infer from that 
that it's raining outside and that's perfectly legitimate in, in, uh, in courts of law and it's perfectly legitimate for people here to look at all the overwhelming circumstantial evidence, including China's efforts and Fauci, as far as I'm concerned, efforts to hide the direct evidence of the, of the Wuhan lab that, that would lead any reasonable person, any reasonable juror to conclude that this virus originated in the, in the Wuhan lab. Um, we are actually out of our time right now. So I know there's was some other things we were going to, uh, uh, we we're going to uh, discuss. One of the things was election integrity. It's a different uh, topic subject. Maybe we'll pick it up at the beginning of our next podcast. But one interesting point, it goes to what you point, your point you just made about the, about the inference and so forth. You know, they all say, well, this it's the big lie, the big lie that there's, uh, you know, no evidence of, uh, of election malfeasance or fraud. Number one, that's wrong. I mean, we filed a petition for a writ of, uh, of extra, uh, extraordinary writ from mandamus here in the Michigan Supreme Court, lost 4-3, very close, submitted over 40 some odd affidavits from uh, recipient witnesses who had direct evidence. And what we were asking for was a forensic audit of the results. There's been no forensic audit of the results, certainly here in Michigan. So to say that, oh, it's all a big lie. No, they did everything they could, tooth and nail fighting us from actually just asking for a forensic audit to get to the conclusion of whether or not all these absentee ballots and everything that came pouring in in the middle of the night in Detroit were actually valid uh, or whether or not there was, you know, there was malfeasance to the point that it, the election was, was wrong. 3.3 million absentee ballots and Trump lost by like 150 something thousand votes. Um, and so anyways, going to that point that you can't say that there, that, uh, that there wasn't uh, election issues at this last election. When you're not willing to do the uh, the forensic audit, but anyway, so that's that's going to wrap it up for uh, for today. Um, again, that's all the time we have. We always look forward to our our discussions, and we thank all of you for joining us. As you know, our video casts are posted on our Rumble channel. We uh, are officially dumping YouTube and Facebook, um, and uh, we've we've shut them down. But apparently, they don't officially shut down for like 30 days. So I don't know when that official day is going to be. But we're done. We're not posting anything on Facebook, anything on uh, on YouTube, or as Dan Bongino calls it, ScrewTube. And uh, our podcasts, you can pick them up wherever you normally pick up podcasts. I know they're on Spotify and Stitcher and perhaps some other some other uh, platforms. Um, and just by way, uh, we we post them up on our RSS feed, our public RSS feed, and they apparently get picked up. I'm not even sure how that all works, but they get picked up on Spotify, Stitcher, and and other uh, other places. If you like our content, please follow us. We've actually just recently, last few days, seen a very big uptick in people who have been viewing our uh, our videos in, in particular. And so, um, if you uh, if you like the content, please spread the word. Um, as we as I mentioned before, we are a nonprofit public interest law firm. So, and recognized by the IRS as a five hundred one c three organization. So we all the work we do is uh, pro bono for the good. That is, we don't charge for any of our legal services. We rely upon generous donations, which are tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. So if you'd like to support our work, you can do so safely on our website at AmericanFreedomLawCenter.org. I also encourage you to go look at that website and see all the different cases that were involved. And we try to touch upon them during these podcasts, but boy, the time goes pretty quickly and we will continue to hopefully maybe next week we'll do a litigation update on some of the very important cases that we're doing. So I want to thank you all again for, uh, for tuning in or listening uh, or watching our video cast. And as always, may God bless you and may he continue to bless America. Amen.